Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Baron Vaughn is on. I've known Baron a while from the New York comedy scene. He's got a new show called The New Negroes on um, Comedy Central and BET, both networks at the same time. That's pretty cool, right? Let me do some real, uh, real, let me do some actual tour dates of mine. These are real. They're not made up. And I'll just burn through these pretty quickly and then you can uh, you can skip past these. April 19th, Phoenix. April 25th, Greensboro, North Carolina. May 3rd, Copenhagen, Denmark. May 4th, Oslo. May 6th, Prague. Uh, May 10th and 11th, Berlin. May 23rd, New York City. Uh, June 7th and 8th, Springfield, Missouri. June 21st through 23rd, San Francisco. October 3rd, Honolulu. And then Saturday, October 5th, I think I keep wondering how to say this. I know I could just look up how to say this, but I think it's Kihei, Hawaii, October 5th. And let's backtrack because August 1st, I'll be in Milwaukee. I forgot about that one. So uh, those are some tour dates. It's a lot of them, right? Going all over. Springfield, Missouri, Hawaii. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway, we'll be back with Baron Vaughn. Uh, Baron. Yes. Welcome. You're the first guest to say, I don't want to use headphones. What's, what's going on with that? You know, um, somebody gave me this tip a long time ago when I was doing like uh, voiceover work or uh-huh. something. Maybe it was like an animation thing, but having the headphones on, it makes me think about how I sound yeah. more than what I'm saying. Really? Yes. Yes. See, it makes me feel more powerful when I hear my own voice. And I don't like to feel powerful. I like to feel even. Oh, you're not a little short guy like me. <laughs> he's been bullied all his whole life because he's short. <laughs> but doesn't it feel, I feel like, uh, okay, well, if you don't like, I think I've done shows where I don't wear headphones. Does but, it weird you out that I'm not wearing No, them? no, I don't care. No, okay. I, I want the guests to be comfortable. <laughs> That'd be weird if you got to put the phones on. I want, and also. The cans. Sit on these tacks. I don't want you to feel comfortable at all. Why, um, so, so it's. So you actually, if you focus less on your own voice. Yeah, and it makes me listen to you. Really? Ooh. Better. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be putting those on pretty soon. You'll <laughs> be <laughs> a little noise-canceling ones. Just to get, yeah, get your your voice out of my head. It's no. interesting, uh, since we're talking about the recording of a podcast, because mm-hmm. you actually were on my podcast. Yes. One of my famous Live they record uh. podcasts. That's happened... <laughs> I probably have five hours of unusable podcasts. Is it just, does that happen at festivals when you're doing a live version? I mean, this was in Houston, right? Yeah, it was Houston, yeah. And I remember, I mean, it was just the thing where it's like, this, some, there's no way, it's outside, it's windy, and it's like, there's no way this is going to work. And I was assured that it would sound perfect, and then I think it was just unusable. It was kind of a sound nightmare. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It just sucks because that was fun, if I remember. Yes. And then you're like, oh, I got to recreate that. Actually, my three favorite podcasts I've been on, there's no record of. Oh, really? Yeah. What are the other two? <laughs> uh, that's right. Good assumption that yours is one of them. Um, w. Kamau Bell and Kevin Avery had a, a podcast about Denzel Washington being the greatest actor of all time. The whole, like a, every series, every episode? Every episode is about how good Denzel is. I and like so they that. have. They had uh, it's no, it's no longer, but they would have guests on to basically go down their top five Denzel movies, uh-huh. uh, and we did a live version at South by Southwest. Did not get recorded. It's funny too because they would look at the sound engineer in the other room, who's literally giving them thumbs up, right, <laughs> and just forgot to hit record for some reason. Sounds oh great. God. No one will ever hear it. <laughs> what was the third one? Third one, um, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It might have been one of my podcasts. Oh. A podcast I had a long time ago with uh, uh, called Deep Shit, and I think Chris Fairbanks yeah. was my, uh, no, no, it was Dave Huntsberger was my guest, and we talked about storytelling uh-huh. and like the different kinds of stories that we like. Yeah. One of my favorite conversations I had on that podcast doesn't exist. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, 
how can you screw this? It's the simplest engineering job in the world. Two people just yapping with each other. <laughs> and then it does. But yeah, I've had that, that happen in, uh, in another San Francisco. It happened once where the episode didn't record. And they're like, oh, did you make a backup? No, we didn't make a backup. Oh, okay. That's weird that you didn't make a backup. And are these just new engineers you're working with? I don't know. They don't know you <laughs> don't know. or they don't maybe care? They're, maybe they're not engineers, but uh, <laughs> maybe they're just like some dude just like, oh, I'll just go sit down and he'll think I'm Just somebody with the beer that just sat there, yeah. Um, now, I feel like I met, did I meet you like through the like surf reality type situation? I mean, not that I did that room a lot, but. Um, I think we probably met maybe at Rafifi. Okay. Back in the day, back in the back in the day. Yeah. Back in my day, at least. How long? When did you start comedy? Summer of 2001. Really? In Boston, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. That's like five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In terms of planetary years, yeah. In terms of how long the stars have been around, definitely, yeah. Not that long. Uh, Summer 2001, I was in Boston. I remember it being the summer because it was before 9-11. Okay. So it was like summer happened, and then a couple months later, that's when 9-11 happened. Because it was September, beginning of the school year. I was a junior in college. Okay. Where would you Where'd you go to college? Boston University. That's a good school, right? That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a good school. I had a good time there. Yeah, yeah. I studied theater, so yeah, fake major, but good education. Weren't you? Did you do something on Broadway? I have been on Broadway. Holy yeah. shit! What's that like? Um, really intimidating. <laughs> which What show were you in? It was a show called Drowning Crow. It was at the Manhattan Theater Club. Okay. And this was my first job in New York, actually, right after. Was I, Broadway? I got, yeah. Okay. And then after that, I worked at a law firm for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think when you got on Broadway, oh, well, this, I don't know why everyone said this is so difficult. I've been in New York three hours and I'm on Broadway. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I was like the smallest part in the whole thing. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen the show The Orville? No. Oh, it's a like a Seth MacFarlane style Star Trek show, kind of in a comedy no. vein. There's a guy on there that's playing the Klingon, I guess, uh-huh. his version of a Klingon or whatever. That guy was also in the show. And okay. the two of us, his name is Peter Macon, the two of us were these 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 small parts of the of the thing. So how, like, did you come in, like, late in the show, early in the show, or was it throughout the I was the, the first thing on stage, oh. me and this guy, Peter Macon. Holy we shit. kind of came out in almost like a narrator sort of style. And did like a weird little song and dance, and then the play kind of started. And, and that was it? And that was pretty much it. That l- later, we came on again, and I feel like we danced again <laughs> and moved some set pieces around. Um, that's all I can remember. My character's name was Okra, like, oh, the, okra. like the, the delicious food. Is okra good? Yeah. If you've had good okra, yeah. Have you had bad okra? I don't know if I've ever had okra. Oh. So, to, so maybe I, I'm not the one to judge okra that I've never. It well, seems scary. It seems like a scary one to me. No, it's not. It's not. It's a good It's a good vegetable, and when it's done well, it's very good. Is There's many different ways to do it. Is it sweet potato-y? No, it's not sweet potato-y at all. Is it's it? It's more of a, I almost want to say it's like a peppery. Really? Because some people make it very spicy. That's yeah. the kind of the southern barbecue way of doing it is making it spicy or fried okra. Is That's, it mushy? Um, mushy? <laughs> yeah. It's a little mushy, texture-wise. I forgot why we started talking about okra. Because that oh, was his name, name was Okra. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do love going on a tangent, but then it's like, oh, shit, I don't, how do I circle back when I forgot what we were talking about? <laughs> Broadway. Me being super oh, yeah. dope on Broadway. So how, what's an audition for Broadway like? Well, at that time, so I was right out of college, right? And um, I ended up getting this opportunity to go to the Williamstown Theater Festival, still around, Western Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And there I was able to audition for a bunch of different casting directors in New York. It was part of like the internship yeah. that you had. And so I uh, auditioned for this woman named Nancy Piccioni, who at the time was the casting director of Manhattan Theater Club. So I did a little audition there, and then they invited me and another actor to New York to come audition for this, this play. And um, it was like we did a dance audition because there was a lot of physical movement. Uh-huh. And then they just kind of wanted to see what our presence was like on stage. And I was, by this time I had been doing stand up maybe two ish years. So I was confident enough on stage in a stand up way, right? which is different than a theater way. Right. But they wanted someone who could just kind of be on stage by themselves anyway. Who could just kind of talk yeah, more even conversationally though, or? Even though I didn't have any, <laughs> didn't have any lines. Right. But I was just kind of like there, you know, um, 
And that's what that process was. And then I ended up doing it. And it was a fancy show. It had Anthony Mackie was the lead in it. Uh-huh. Alfre Woodard was in it. Oh, man, she's good. She's great. And like um, a lot of really fantastic actors. And so I was intimidated because these are people whose names I had read in like, you know, newspapers or even just plays. I'm like, oh, they were in the original cast of this August Wilson play. And now I was working with these people. Damn. So how many, how long did that run? Couple months. Couple months, maybe three or four. So you're literally only at the beginning of the show, but you had to come back for the curtain call. Yes. Were you tempted to go, can I just get the fuck out of here? Definitely not, man. Theater okay. people are so serious. <laughs> are they? Serious about lateness, especially. You know what? I'm, I'm that way also. Are you? Yeah. You're a very I punctual mean, person? I'm a very, I'm hyper, um, I'm the person who, uh, like, if it's something really important, I'll just go be like, I'll get there an hour and a half early and I could go find a coffee shop to sit in. Mm, that's the way to do it. I've never been on time for anything. Really? It's like... I just have no concept of time slash no one raised me, so it's kind of it's kind of like, like seriously, no one raised you. I mean, it was a tricky situation. Okay, in the sense that I had to get up and get myself ready for school and all uh-huh. that stuff, and nobody kind of made me understand why it was important or how long things took. Yeah. Um. So I used to wake up like an hour and a half before I had to leave. Right. To just barely make it. I know people do that. Do you do that like at the airport? I know people like, I cut it as close as possible. It's like, well, yeah, it's all right. I don't want to do that. Right. But it ends up happening. Yeah. You but miss a flight? I've missed a couple flights. Yeah. yeah. But not a lot. Less than I can count on one hand. Not one ever. Me. You? Never. That's, well, I'm not surprised by that. Well, oh, I feel like you took a jab at me right there. <laughs> <laughs> not a jab, not a jab. You're just the, an uptight guy. So you I seem to be very organized. Am I? No, I'm actually hyper not organized. <laughs> well, why I'm would you throw use the hyper, word hyper? <laughs> twice in a, in a minute. Hyper not organized. <laughs> I don't know. You seem like you're a guy who um, knows where you have to be when you have to be there. I'm very like reliable. Like stand-up gigs, I almost never cancel. And if I'm late, you should call the cops. But... <laughs> But the Todd Berry clockwork. But at the same, like I'm kind of messy and like don't put my sh- shit where I should put my shit. And... That's not that bad though. Yeah. That's only like at your place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've cl- I clean. I'm very good about cleaning up a hotel room before I leave. Yeah, well, it's not yours, right? But I'm, I'm also same. like, you know, I'm not like uh, I can just go there. Someone's there's someone who comes in and takes care of it. It's like, yeah, I want them to have an easy day. I think I've already talked about this on another episode of this mm. podcast. You ever do that where you just talk about the same thing over and you're like, I think I've had the same conversation. Yeah, usually on stage in front of an audience. I'm like, <laughs> I swear I've said this before. Oh, you mean like repeating a joke within the same show? No, no, no. Not okay. I'm just being being an idiot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just mean the next night. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And I, that, was, that was a little hurtful. No, I, <laughs> that'd be funny if I just come, pretended to be you're offended by every, every other thing you said. Oh, yeah. So how long did you live in New York? Um... About eight and a half ish years. Yeah, I was in Boston for a year and a half. Came here, and I was here about nine, something like that. Did you um, after the Broadway show ended? Did you keep auditioning for Broadway? Yes and no. I mean, I didn't have an agent, so it's like I I got this gig just from this internship and auditioning for it. Uh, I think at the end of it, I ended up with an agent, uh, and then I would go out for a lot of commercials and stuff uh-huh. like that. And there were other pieces of theater and play and plays and TV shows. But I also was never that good at auditioning. Yeah, I'm pretty bad at it. I hate it to this day. I hate it. Do you still have to audition for stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. I uh, yeah I I uh, I just always I always walk in and I look and see who's waiting. Like oh yeah, one of these guys seems perfect. <laughs> it's like five. Uh, I almost want to recommend me. them. Like just yeah, exactly. Or someone who dresses the part. You know, like mm. yes, it's a superhero. I didn't think to actually show up in a cape, but. <laughs> Maybe that's a good idea. That's one thing to remember, though, Todd. Like, if you were auditioning for a superhero, show up in the cape. Wear your <laughs> underwear on the outside of your pants. Let's see. I feel like that looks... I mean, I don't know if that's actually a good idea to do that, because I feel like it looks desperate. <laughs> well, um, it there's different minds, I guess, there's different schools of thoughts on what to do in an audition. Yeah. Um, luckily, no one tells anyone anything about it, so everyone just always feels confused and lost. Right. And then you, I never know, like... If they ask me to do it again, I'm like, oh, that's that's good. They're still interested. But then I sometimes I'll do it once and go, maybe I just nailed it. <laughs> or they didn't, they were just like, no, let's not waste anyone's time. You never know what the heck they're looking for. I know. And sometimes it, it's just something that is very shallow and uncontrollable 
that determines why you don't get a part. Like what? Like they just didn't like your shirt. Uh-huh. Like they they thought that you talk too softly. Ooh. Um, <laughs> there's someone on the show that looks already exactly like you. So they're like, oh, if we have two people that look the same, then everyone right. will be like, well, which which character's which? Right, right. It's always something. Like put up like a bright red hat on one of them. <laughs> that this the dude always, or maybe not a red hat in this day and age, but a blue, bright blue hat. You can have a red hat I guess as long he, as it's blank. I yeah, guess. that's true. I guess I don't want to wipe out the color red because who's of that Donald. guy? Um, is it Michael Malley? Uh huh. That actor. Yeah. He's always in a hat. Oh really? Every time I see his him, he's in a hat on every t- every single TV show he's ever been on. He's wearing a hat. Do you want? Huh. I wonder what. It can't he's, be just a bald spot. He's branded himself. <laughs> he's just like. He's the hat. Oh, that's the hat guy over there. We got to get him his hats. Well, that's what they say the hat thing is about. Is branding? No, well, it, why they don't want you to wear hats at auditioning. Because it's something about baldness or something. Oh, what, people think you're bald? Yeah. Or you're hiding something. <laughs> but it's like, but people are bald and people are, you know. <sighs> yes, they are. Hats. Yes, they are. Yeah. No one in this room, though. No, I got, I got a rich, beautiful, full flowing head of hair. Yeah, when I walked in, I was like, oh my God, is that George Hamilton over there? Like, like, is, that, is that Jennifer Aniston? <laughs> is that Jennifer Aniston over there wearing her hair, her famous haircut? Did you, uh, I'm surprised you didn't just get an agent like say, I'm on Broadway. Can you be my agent? They're like, well, you've already done half the work for me. I mean, it's, it's agents are weird and, yeah. and how they, it was somebody that I had met in Williamstown. Uh-huh. Who referenced me to their agent, and that's how I ended up. And he came to the play and was like, "Oh, I, uh, yeah, I'll sign you." And then ended up working with him for a couple years. And then, um, yeah, that was. It's very strange because I had a lot of agents that were interested in me when right. I was leaving theater school. Yeah, but because I didn't, you know, vomit all over myself to be with them, because I still had a couple of months left before I was out of school, they just all lost interest. Huh? For some reason. Did they? Um... Did your stand-up come, is that something you were always interested in, or was that like, uh, this is another way to get on stage? Well, stand-up was always what I think I actually wanted to do. Right. And theater was a distraction from that. It was like, it was a, it was a tangent. Yeah. Because I was like, people on a stage saying things, that's the same. Uh-huh. So I always wanted to do stand-up, but didn't know that I actually had to go do it. You Does mean, that make sense? Like it wasn't your calling. You didn't no, realize I just, it was your calling. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't realize it was my calling until I was in college. Okay. Number one. But then also, like, the beginning of stand-up, like, to go to an open mic and to yeah. find... I didn't know any anything about that because no one around me was doing anything like that. Right. I, I, was, I grew up in Las Vegas, so I'd be watching stand-up oh, on TV. Man. And I would see, like, oh, you know, whoever... Seinfeld or George Wallace is at Caesars or Harrah's. But, you know, I was like, well, clearly I can't just go to that show and be like, can I get up? Like, Hi, can I headline Caesars? <laughs> can I headline the forum <laughs> shops? I have never been on stage. Yeah, so how to get into stand-up was something that when I was starting out, or at least when I wanted to start, wasn't readily readily available information like it is today. Uh-huh. Like everyone who wants to start stand-up knows that they have to go to an open mic now. Yeah, I talked to someone the other day who went to an open mic where they had they had to pay $10 mm. And they had to buy a drink. It's like yes. to get on stage. Like, yes. come on, man. Yes. I was just talking to a couple of young young comics and they were saying there was something where they have to sign up online and then like you have to pay money and it's like yeah. a whole weird I mean, scam. I understand it's not supposed to be easy and it's not supposed – and I, I also know when I started it was easier because it was just – it was in Florida and there wasn't as many people trying to do it. What but part of Florida? South Florida, uh, Fort Lauderdale area. Mm. Why? Do you have a Florida connection? Uh, no, no, no. I just know a lot of comics that started in Florida. Yeah, there's me, Brian Reagan. Yes. Um, that's it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> We're really the big guns that came out of Florida. <laughs> he does 5,000 theaters and I do clubs. But, um, <laughs> so did you go up at like the comedy studio? Is that? I did. Actually, the first place that I went up was uh, Dick Doherty's Comedy Vault. Oh, okay. Which doesn't exist anymore. He didn't like me. I heard, I did a set there, somewhere there. And I and heard that he didn't like I you? heard that that he didn't like me. I didn't know it was a real person. I just thought it was like a branding <laughs> situation, like it was some fake oh, uncle like that they Tony created. Tony the Tiger or something like Yeah, that? basically, they're funny. Like that was he, with right. a thumbs up on stage. Um, yeah, Remington's Restaurants on Boylston Street. Yeah. It, it doesn't exist anymore. There used to be tons of comedy in Boston. Yes. Well, Boston has a, a historic relationship to comedy. It's one of the great comedy cities, you could say. Yeah, I don't know what it's like there now. I mean, I do shows there, but I don't. 
Well, I'm always really interested in when, uh, how, I guess the kind of the, um, the, the growth of comedy clubs and how they become big and small yeah. and how scenes kind of change, you know, the weather systems, if you will, of a comedy scene. And it seems like Boston is on the upswing again. Ah. Um, did you, so where's the first place you went on in New York? Oh, what is the first place I did in New York? It might've been stand up New York. Yeah. I was doing bringer shows at the beginning. Yeah. How do you feel about bringer shows? Like the, do you think that I don't, I feel like there's a, I have a mixed feelings about them. Yeah. I mean, again, I didn't know any better. Um, I didn't know of any mics in New York and I right. didn't know any comics in New York. Yeah. All the comics I knew were in Boston. Yeah. So I was doing bringer shows in New York, but I could always go back to Boston and like do spots and stuff. Yeah. I don't, so, it's, I don't know how people like, like I did a few bringers, I think, but mm -hmm. at some point it's like you run out of friends. Unless well, you work in an office where you got like, I work with 800 people and I'm the funny guy at the office. And yeah. And all those people can afford to come. Because I was like a student just, just out of school. Uh -huh. All my friends were 23. None of them had any money. And they were like, wait, I have to pay $25 to watch you do right. what? Can't we just take a walk and you make right. me laugh? I have to pay $25 to watch you do something you're not good at. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, come on, it's my art. Come on. Yeah. Like, no, it was, it was. And it's kind of um, heartbreaking when I didn't have the people. Yeah. And it was like, I had five people come, but I had to bring eight. And it was like, oh, you only had five people. You can't go Yeah, up. I've been in, I've done like little guest sets on bringer shows. And you're just like, just let the person on. They brought five people. What, are you going to send them all home? It's that tough love kind of thing. I think, I think it's also penny wise, dollar foolish kind of thing. Yes. Well, of course. <sighs> Don't get me started. Well, we got, we got started on it. Bringer shows. I don't like anything that kind of takes advantage of comedians. So it's but, especially young comedians that don't know any better. But what are they supposed to do though? Like, how do you? I have no idea. Because I have seen bringer shows where you're like, this person's on for, there's 300 people in the audience. That, yeah. That's not gonna happen when you've been doing comedy four times. But it's also a skewed audience. Yeah, it is. Like they're not a bunch of people who like comedy. They specifically came to see their friend right. or something like that. Sometimes they're good, but they, they could be tricky. Yeah, sometimes they, I think they get into the mode of like, oh, this is competition. We're, we're rooting for Danny today. Yeah, and sometimes they're presented like that. Yeah. Like it's the best of tonight, you know, and, and, and then people don't want to laugh on you, at you on purpose. Did you, uh, did you go on the road at all? When I was starting out? Ever. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I've gone on the road. <laughs> I've had a very strange trajectory, you could say, Todd. Yeah? Um, you didn't say it, but you could say it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, because it's like I came here and I was doing bringers and then, but I already had an agent. Uh -huh. So I was going out for auditions, especially commercial auditions, which for a lot of comedians that just got an agent where they had to do comedy, 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 uh -huh. they had to do comedy. <laughs> they had to learn how to say it first. Stand up comedy for a number of years <laughs> Yeah. before they got an agent and could go to the commercial auditions and they saw me and they're, I'm like an open micer as far as they're concerned. They're like, what the heck is this dude doing here? Yeah. So my acting career was always adjacent to my stand-up. They never really started to kind of meld together until a lot later, I guess you could say. But yeah, I was doing bringers and then I met Nick Kroll at a, a commercial audition. I don't know who that is. No. Um, <laughs> this very talented young comedian. He's got where, a big mouth. Where did you? <laughs> oh, shit. Um, some commercial audition and then we had to improvise off each other. Oh, that's good. And I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but we had like a instant rapport. Yeah. And we're surprised by it. And then he invited me to come do his show at Rafifi, and that's kind of ah. how I started doing. It was Welcome to Our Week back back then, and that's when I started doing those shows. Was that the show he did with Jesse Klein? With Jesse Klein, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And everyone's gone off to be big, big stars. All all big mouths. <laughs> it is weird, right? You ever notice? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like these things, we did shows with like people in little rooms, and then like a lot of them, like Mulaney, and a lot yes. of people have gone on to be like bigger than me, Carnegie yeah. Hall. <laughs> <laughs> no one's bigger than you, Todd Berry. I man, I appreciate that. <laughs> Size wise, stature wise. So, did you do like the comedy clubs on the road, or? Well, yeah. I mean, I ended up signing with some sort of college agent. Well, not a sort of college agent with yeah. a college agent. Yeah. And that was my first taste of doing the road. Even though colleges is a very specific thing. Right. But that's how I learned to do an hour. And then as I got older, and I wanted to talk about my life instead of just general right. crap that college students laugh at 
it became harder and harder to entertain them because they could not relate anymore to you guys ever pay a bill and they're like right, no exactly. i don't know what you're talking about um and i was doing some of the clubs around new york because the bringer the bringer shows did well for me because i started to get good yeah and then some of the clubs were like past me i think i got past the stand up new york even though i never really took advantage of that uh-huh um, just because the the dynamic of having a home club it's just something I never really wrap my brain around. Okay. That is like, oh, this is the place where I am constantly hanging out, getting to know the comics that are here. You were going to, kind of going for a wide net kind of thing. Yeah, basically. I would do any show that anybody asked me to do because I was always curious about where there were good audiences. I always wanted to try out my stuff in front of as many different kinds of people as possible. Um, after I started I stopped doing um, uh, colleges, I started doing club clubs. Yeah. And then uh, I think the the, the um, Laughing Skull was probably the first club to book me. Oh, really? It was like in their first year of existence. I did it, I think, their first year. Mm-hmm. It was them and Zanies in Chicago. I remember it was because they were like, we're going to do two shows Thursday, two shows Friday, because it's a small room, like 70 seats. I'm like, yeah. oh, man, yeah. they're, they're going to be packed out. And it's like 20 people for a show. Especially that first 30, year. Yeah, yeah, just like maybe not, maybe one show on Thursday. See yeah. how it sells. Yeah. Before, <laughs> you know what? I retract my statement. I think that Zanies in Chicago was the first club to book me. That's a good club, man. It, it that was, used to be one of my faves. And I did the Tuesday through Sunday. Yeah, and the three shows on Saturday, right? Ooh, yes. Yeah. Did Torturous. You, you stay in that condo? Yeah, I stayed in the condo. Where else was I going to stay? I kind of lucked out because I, uh, I don't know. How, for some reason, I think the guy who books. Zanies called me because what do you think of the condo? I was like, well, since you asked, <laughs> and then he moved me to a hotel. I was like, oh, all right, that worked out. Nice. Like that's not a story I heard a lot, but uh, yeah, I just well, I didn't think I could complain at all. I was like, a free place to stay. Oh yeah, yeah. It's right across the street. You know. Did you have to share it with someone? No, I didn't. Okay, that's not as bad. Yeah, everyone that opened for me was local, so they were they all had their own stuff going. Well, on. That's not so bad though. Nah. Then it's just an apartment, which is questionable how clean it is. It was a weird week, especially because my actual family decided it was the perfect time to take a trip to Chicago. Oh, really? Since they knew I was going to be there. They're like, let's see if he has an hour. <laughs> Basically, they're like, I want to see a new 15 every night. I don't want to see shit. I've not seen it. Boo, new heard hour. it. Old album. How many? Have you done? You've done specials, right? No. Not one special? I've done a half hour special. On Comedy Central? Yeah, a couple years ago. You haven't done an hour? Mm-mm. No, I haven't. That's going to That's got it. Why is that? It's a combination of things, Todd. I mean, it's um, <laughs> it's it's a little bit of the not having the time, I guess, not having being able to focus on stand-up right. the way I want to. Right. And really build what I think is a good hour uh-huh. and then try to you know pitch it around or make a special and license it and all that crap. Yeah. That game is a whole, like the, the stand-up comedy game, like you were talking about, like Mulaney or somebody. Yeah. Like a lot of those dudes, they stuck with stand-up right. in a way that I didn't because I already had the acting thing right. going on. Yeah, it is hard to try. Like sometimes I want to do everything and it's like, well, I don't want to do, I can't do everything. No, you can't. You can't do everything. You, you can do be, one thing at a time. Right. You're going to be like, I want to be an okay stand-up, a, a decent actor, <laughs> somewhat of an author, I guess, and <laughs> scripts that were sort of okay. It's like... A lukewarm parking attendant. But uh, then it is, but also then you do get a little, or I get a little bored just focusing on one thing. Yeah, it depends on what you're doing with it, but you know, you do have to switch it up, I think. You have yeah. to inspire yourself with other crap. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What? <laughs> good. I'm shaking my head yes. That's really good for listeners. For the people at home, uh, yeah. he's shaking his head yes. Yeah, we yeah, just yeah, agreed yeah, on yeah, something. Yeah. So uh, you're in town. I yes. guess we should get to your show then that you're here. Yeah. Well, I'll say this real quick too oh, good. about stand-up because it kind of leads into the show okay. a little bit. Oh, that's good. I like segues. Well, it's like, you know, I was a man. I felt like a man without an island, if uh-huh. you will, when I was doing stand-up in New York. So it's like I could do the shows at Rafifi and I continued to go there because they continued to book me. Yeah. And then there was that Mo Pitkins place that opened oh, up. Oh, yeah. That yeah. I used to do a lot of shows there. I remember Mo Pitkins. Uh, and then there was the, I saw one time, I don't know if it was on Craigslist. I think it was my, my roommate's girlfriend because he was interested in doing stand-up, even though he didn't. But his girlfriend was like on Craigslist or something and saw an open call for an audition for comedians in Brooklyn uh-huh. and sent it to him and he showed it to me. And I actually went to the thing. Yeah. And it was this room in Crown Heights that, that started out, was called the Brooklyn Comedy Company. Okay. And a gentleman named Elon James White started it. And then he asked me to be the regular host. Yeah. So 
Rob Paravonian and Elon kind of started this. Okay. I'm and then started booking comics that were good, like I, like Christian Finnegan and like Becky Donahue and like Mike Yard and Mike Britt. So people would come out to these shows. Uh-huh. Uh, all the mics, uh, Mike Yard, Mike Britt. <laughs> uh, so we started a show in Brooklyn and then we started a show in Williamstown. Oh, it was a Crown Heights and we started a show in Williamstown. And so it was like we were doing all these little indie shows. That was the answer, if you will, to not getting booked at a lot of these other places is starting our own crap. Right. And so that's sort of the seeds for what is now the new Negroes, if you will. Okay. Because it's like making our own sort of scene was what we were trying to do. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of paintbrush movements with my you hand are. to show kind of the ladder and the progression. <laughs> I should I should tape i should video this definitely don't i want people to just hear these you're wearing a nice shirt so I mean. <laughs> to hear all these different <laughs> sounds i'm making with my hands uh but that's that's basically what the whole thing was you know just us making our own sort of thing and then we tried to do our own shows we called them shades of black uh-huh and it was elon me jordan carlos and michelle buteau and then victor varnado was a part of our group as well and then he made a, a, a special for comedy central called The Awkward Kings, I think, or The Awkward Comedy Show. Uh-huh. And that was me, him, Marina Franklin, Eric Andre, and Hannibal. Wow. And then so those are like the things that happen that add up to, if you will, the inspiration pieces, the ladder, the steps uh-huh. that became now what is my version of all of that kind of stuff. Did you have a show with this title, like a live show? The New Negroes? Yeah. Yes, I've had it for a couple of years. We started in Bridgetown, uh, actually. Oh, really? It's the first place I did it, yeah. And uh, and then I started doing it in L.A. a couple years ago. So Open Mike has been my co-host that entire time. So it's probably been four or five years that we've been doing it in Los Angeles. Because I watched uh, some samples that your publicist sent me. Oh, yes. For, and kudos to your publicist. I've, usually I book this show and it's like, hey, you want to do my show, asshole? And someone texts back, yeah. And then we go, when? Three o'clock. Okay, see you, bye. <laughs> this is like a constant like CC'd. Like, uh, when does... Uh... <laughs> When does Baron need to get there? Much more serious. They asked, they asked, organized. <laughs> they asked, like, before he was even booked, they asked, where is it? I figured they wanted the neighborhood, so just so you could route. I go, it's about 30, you know, it's in the midtown 30s. And they're like, we, can we have the address? Yeah, I, I will <laughs> hold it back the address. <laughs> Thing's not booked yet. But they were very good. And they're good. You got good people there helping you. I'm trying it out. Um, what were we just talking about? Your new show? Yes. New Negroes. The New Negroes. That's right. Because I watch it, it's, it's like a bit. It's a lot stand up, mm-hmm. but it's also some songs and some sketches. And yeah. how do you, um, was that the, was that, how did you do that live? Like, did you just, did you do sketches live? Well, live, we don't know. Live, live, it's more, live, it's twice as many comedians as six comedians. Uh-huh. Mike usually does two songs. We co host it. So we kind of do an opening host bit and just either talk about our week or whatever's going on in the news, just kind of riff through it. And then we, bring out some comics, two comics, Mike, two comics, Mike, two comics. That's the live show uh-huh. dynamic. So for the TV show, we were like, well, it's not that interesting for Mike to perform a song on stage live in a TV show context when there's already been stand-up comedy. It's very strange tonally. It is. It's hard to mix those two. Exactly. So we thought being able to, um, if you will, kind of jump out to a music video. Uh-huh was going to be a better situation for us, especially if it's visually interesting, right. a little funny. Uh, and then whatever song he has composed also ties back to whatever theme we were unpacking a little bit as our as our host selves. Right. Kind the, of a vaudeville kind of style. The art direction on your show is great. Like your opening Thank credit you. sequence, really nice. Appreciate that. I don't know if that's what you were looking for compliment-wise. No, show man. show is terrible, but man, those opening <laughs> credits. <laughs> I just, you know, watch the credits and then shut it off. But they, man, they're nice. No, they're really nice. Oh, appreciate like, that. Really like, oh, that's that's good work. Well, we were going for a visual style, especially when, in terms of like the room that we did it in. Where was that filmed? Well, we actually built that. Okay. We were going to film at a live real venue uh-huh. um, that had some histo- history behind it, like a venue that like Aretha Franklin and Sam Cooke and James Brown had yeah. performed in. But then when we looked at the logistics of setting up trucks up and down the street, where were we going to let people park who came to see the show? Right. All this stuff seemed like it was going to be a nightmare, so we decided to move to a studio. Is this in Los Angeles? In Los Angeles. Okay. And then we custom-built a comedy club. All right. Which I which kind of was amazing, because I also didn't want it to be too big. I wanted it to be like 100, 150 yeah, people. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, exactly, because if it's too big, then, you know, it, it's just... 
Well, you know, as a comic, like your rhythm in front of 100 people is very different in front of 800 people. Definitely. It's more presentational and more, or it's supposed to be more present. I don't know how much presentation, more presentational I get, but. Uh, yes. Well, no, I think it is. It's, it's, you kind of have to um, ramp up your yeah. animation to kind of match how big the room is. Right. But I wanted that kind of intimacy. Yeah. That feel. Um, so we got to, we had a, a designer named Car- uh, Gary Corden who came in and we just kind of like i know what it, a warm good room feels like on yeah. stage so i wanted to feel like that for every comic to walk out and be like oh this is just a regular show like have that feeling of it's not a tv taping they're not thinking about cameras they're just thinking about doing their act right because sometimes i've done tv sets where you're like, you walk out and there's just this giant camera in your face you're yes like, okay i sort of have to imagine that that's a person yeah because you've done a you're talking about like late night shows yeah kind of thing. yeah 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 and also the audience sometimes is far away Yes. Or are they pretty close in this? This, they're pretty close. Like the lip of the stage, there are people sitting right there. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. I wanted it. I wanted the stage to be a certain height. It can't be too tall. Right. I think it's it's got to be like the bottom of the stage should be at people's chests, you know, at, at maximum height. Uh-huh. Chests, the kind of stomach area, just because, you know, you know that feel. Yeah, yeah. I like just being in, just being, being in the trenches. In the trenches. In it. In the grip of someone's comedy. <laughs> How many episodes did you film? We did eight episodes. Okay. It's on Comedy Central and BET? Comedy Central and BET simulcast. How's, yeah. that, how's that work? Has anyone ever done that? I don't think so. It's unprecedented as far as I understand. Let's get a third network involved. <laughs> <laughs> I would QVC, like that. Uh, uh, QVC, yes. Uh, I went for a QVC joke. I don't think that was too easy. Well, I, I, I immediately go to like, hmm, what's the context of shopping black people? Wait a minute. Yeah, historical exactly. press. Yeah. It's got scary. Yeah. Now I feel guilty. <laughs> Don't feel okay. Good. As long as you feel white guilty. Yeah, that's, that's the favorite kind. The best. That's my favorite kind. Um, no, it's 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 the product of because you know we have a title that's pretty dangerous right some people because the word negro is there a lot of people don't know how to feel about that word a lot of people don't know the history the context it's just a word that makes people go like what what's that which is one of the reasons i actually chose the title because it is it does make you go huh it makes yeah. you double take you don't just accept it easily you have to look at it and think about it um and and it's a reference to a book from the 20s that was an anthology of a bunch of different writers you know um poets essayists that were sort of speaking to their experience at that time. Right. And that's sort of what I wanted to do is like a collection of people that are all very different from each other, different ages, different backgrounds, different levels of experience and stand up yeah. in one place. And so that's why I chose the title is to aspire to this idea that we're quote unquote redefining black people and redefining the black experience or black comedy, stuff like that. Yeah, I. Um, it's a very heady explanation. No, I liked it. I was wondering because did, did you get resistance? Did you pitch that title? And was there? I could just see someone go, "Oh, you know, Bear, we can't oh, do that." Bear. There was always resistance. That's one of the reasons that the BET thing actually happened. Uh-huh. It's 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 a fortunate offshoot of some resistance that was internal at the Viacom level, where there were some people, black people, who didn't feel that good about the title. Oh, really? And then we had a good conversation with them, and this was a part of that result. So I almost want to thank them a lot for the double <laughs> the double group of eyeballs that are going to be on this show. Yeah, that's cool, man. Are you going to tour it? That was the original, original, before there was even a TV show, I wanted to try to create a thing that I could take on the road. Uh-huh. Um, but definitely want to try to tour it, yeah. It hasn't been set yet, um, especially because I have been on the road. Mike has been on the road. We're going to have a lot of comedians that work the road. I would like to have like a core group of comedians that go to each city, but then also have local comedians in that scene. Oh, that's a good idea. Also do, yeah. That's a good idea. Just to kind of always be bringing people up, you know, having this kind of, this brand that lifts right rising tide so you sort of want a mix of people who are kind of established and then sort of here's someone you probably haven't seen and absolutely who's worth a look absolutely because one of my favorite things about those comedy festivals todd is seeing comedians who don't know each other get to know each other comedians who hadn't heard of each other be like my god you're incredible and just exchange info that happens at the live new negro show in in los angeles where comedians from different parts of the country that come to LA that I like that I book and then they get to meet all these LA comedians and then sometimes it creates a pipeline of those people going to their city you know like oh when you come to Chicago I'll show you around or when you come to Atlanta or something like that just kind of connections 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 do you uh, do you think comics are supportive of each other 
Uh, it depends. That's that's about that's actually the that's the appropriate answer. Yeah, I think comics can be supportive of each other. Yeah, I think comics would like to be supportive of each other, but the comedy industry doesn't create an environment for that most of the time. There there tends to be that, like you were talking about the Bringer Show. Uh-huh. There's sometimes that weird competitive sort of thing, and I live in L.A. where it's so exaggerated, right? Where it's like my success is based on someone else's failure, or someone else's failure is is the gateway to my success. It's a weird dynamic. That is weird because I've always I've never felt like I'm particularly competitive. Like mm-hmm. I'm sort of uh, what's the word persistent, <laughs> but I'm not. Like I've I've never felt like oh that that guy's working at this club now, like so I can't work there. Well. And I think what it does to comedians is it makes them focus on very shallow things that they think will get them success. Right. Like copying someone's style or joke uh-huh. writing instead of trying to figure out what their specific thing is. Yeah, because I think a lot of uh, people want to get past the working out what their their tone is or whatever. Yeah. And I understand that. They just want to get to success and fame. But I mean, I'll, I'll sometimes watch an open mic or whatever, and I'll see like, oh, that person's doing something interesting. They're not super pro yet. Yes. I wouldn't put them up in front of 500 people, but there's some, there's some they just walked on stage with a weirdness that I liked. Well, and I would assume you've seen people at an open mic that became someone. Yeah, yeah. That you were like, oh, 15 years later, like you're really, really good, something right. like that. I was thinking about, um, actually, Mike Lawrence told me I was one of the first people to say he was funny to him. Oh really? I saw him at an open mic, and I was See, like, "He'll remember that forever." He he does he does remember it, which is lucky, because uh, he's very good. Um, yeah, it is that weird sort of thing that happens. I, I had a young comic who I know in in L.A. do a show, and he was telling me about it because he has a he's he's still figuring out what his thing is, so he's very experimental on stage. Uh-huh. It doesn't always work, right? And the host came up and threw him under the bus, you know, like, "Well, he's not going to be the next Kevin Hart," was what he said. Uh huh. And my friend was like, he felt bad for the host because the host is basically saying, you have to be Kevin Hart. Right. You have to be like Kevin Hart to make it. There are levels below arenas that you can make quite a bit of money. Exactly. And also, Kevin Hart is already Kevin Hart. Right. You can't be Kevin Hart. He's done it. You got to be who you are. Right. And that's the kind of thing that a lot of young comedians don't have anymore. Kind of reminds me of when someone you meet someone, they're like, I've never heard of you. Okay, well that that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> like it's usually, like internet type comments. Like, Never oh, yeah. heard of them. Oh, you got me. I'm I'm terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is some of the comments that I I focus on maybe too much. Do you read comments? Oh yeah, really? Because I like to punish myself. Really? I like to feel bad. I'm like, who hates me here? <laughs> I'm looking you get, for you, it. You must not get a lot of bad. I can't imagine you getting a. I mean, I guess everyone depends, gets bad comments. But, you know, the people who have never heard of you, plus yeah. that's part of the internet comment culture. People just want to be able to say the meanest yeah. thing that they think is funny. So I try not to take it too seriously, but sometimes if I look at it, I'll think about it too much. Do you read your replies on Twitter? Yeah. Do you write back to people? Not always. I don't get a lot of replies, though. I'm not Todd Berry. So, like... Uh... <sighs> wow, when you put it that way, you're... I don't know what I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to react. Good. I could either say, you're right, you're no Todd Barry, then I look bad. <laughs> I guess the other way is, oh, you, you're a Todd Barry. You got your own TV show. I don't have my own TV show. Here's a t-shirt. We're all Todd Barry. <laughs> Here's a Todd Barry t-shirt. Do you, um, so where did you, when you were touring, where did you, like, where were your favorite places to? Uh... Yeah, I mean, there were, I wasn't expecting um, to like Buffalo. Uh-huh. I did that Buffalo Helium. Yeah. It was Excellent. Yeah. I really, really liked it. Um, I've heard good things about the Philadelphia Helium, but I've never been there. Um, I liked Austin, obviously, Atlanta, Chicago. Yeah. I mean, Denver, you know, some of the some of the big hits. Right. Uh, obviously, there's um, Bloomington, Indiana. That's a great club. Comedy Attic. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a little jam. It's a little jam. Um, comedy on State. Yeah, that's a great uh, one. Wisconsin. I haven't been there since... 2011 but uh it was great yeah i love finding the places that i wasn't expecting to be amazing and then of course a lot of these cities i'm not surprised that i'm like oh yeah okay there's a good there's a good comedy scene there do you um do you bring your own opening act i don't i don't i haven't um see but that's the thing i haven't done the road right consistently enough to get to the level where someone's like who do you want your opener to be that's where you go here's who my opener is <laughs> 
I mean, it's also a thing with comedy clubs where they don't want to book out of town people a lot of time, right? Well, they either don't want to pay them or something. Yeah, I think they want to pay them or put them up. A lot of them, or there's times where they're like, because my, my attitude is, this is my show, this is my night. You sell the drinks and the, the chicken fingers. I'll handle the comedy. And I'll handle everything up that's on stage. Yeah. Or, so I either get someone, I get them to send me links. I also don't play a lot of those chain comedy clubs anymore because mm -hmm. I, I just don't want to. Well, for very good reasons. They're chains. Yeah, they're not. There's not like they're not really passion projects. You can get a burger at a place that makes a really good burger. Uh huh. Or you can go to McDonald's. Wait, which one is the? Is oh, that not the place that makes a really this good? This was burger? the wrong metaphor for Todd Berry. <laughs> uh, I'm perfectly happy with. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but um, you're not a McDonald's burger, Todd. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anymore. Anymore. There was a time. Do you, would you say, like, if I, from a burger perspective, <laughs> which I'd like to be steak and shake. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, not a Shake Shack or a... Oh, Shake Shack. That's a good burger, you too. You'd be a Shake Shack burger. I'll be Shake Shack or Steak and Shake. Yeah. I like that place, BRGR. Have you oh, is that there? good? I don't burger. know if I've been there. Yeah. Burger. <laughs> I think that's how you say it. <laughs> that is a weird thing. We're going to leave out a couple of letters burger. at Burger. It's a place I, every time I come back to New York, I'm like, I got to get back to there. Oh, there's also the um, the Burger Joint. Where's that? In the Park Meridian Hotel. Oh, that's like, like a hidden, I've never been there. It's a hidden gem. It's incredible. Yeah, it's such a weird location. We're going right? after this. Really? We're going right now. I might do that. <laughs> Although I did eat a lot, so maybe I can't do that's that. That's how I figured out I was uh, lactose intolerant at that place. Because you ordered a cheeseburger. I would order a cheeseburger and a milkshake. Oh. And I would eat the crap out of it, and then I'd feel horrible for a week. We're looking at, what, 2,500 calories? Oh, right yeah. There. Yeah, I never understood the milkshake and the burger thing. It just seemed like even as I'm indulging in a burger and fries, which is arguably, uh, or not arguably, it's not healthy, I would be like, no, I ain't getting a shake. I'm a, not a fucking monster. I need to put ice cream on top of all, kind of all a, this meat. <laughs> what kind of shake are we looking at? Um, oh man, strawberry shake. Uh, you ever have a black and white shake? I think it, I think I had black and whites oh, a couple that's times. That's the ultimate. Yeah, it's pretty good. I can't have milkshakes at all anymore. Can't take some lactate or anything? No, it doesn't work because I'm allergic. I'm not intolerant. It's different. I could tell you some real good vegan ice cream in, in the city. Oh, I will take those recommendations. Definitely. I'll do it off the air though because I don't want to, uh, unless they pay me $25,000. <laughs> no free advertising no free on the ride. Todd Berry podcast. No free rides, ice cream parlor. <laughs> uh, did you do a lot of commercials? Did you book a lot of them? Um, there was a time where I did a bunch of different commercials. It, it was kind of like I did a bunch of commercials and then made enough money to quit my day job. Uh -huh. And then suddenly I was focusing on comedy more. And then I started doing colleges. And then I was gone so much that I could no longer audition for commercials. Okay. And then when the colleges started to dry up, I started auditioning for real te television shows as opposed to commercials, I mean to say, like narrative TV yeah, I know shows. What you mean, yeah. And then started booking those. So it's kind of like I had those phases because I did stand I did stand up at colleges for maybe it was like three, four years. I did maybe five commercials. Uh-huh. I did an AOL commercial. I did a woof. I can't even remember anymore. A Coke Zero commercial. I remember that one because I had to drink Coke Zero the whole time. How many? I'm curious, but like they made you drink like a whole one over and over again. I was drink, yeah, because in this commercial I drank a Coke Zero, uh -huh. and it was very specific with how I had to hold the can and the sound I had to make after I sipped. <sighs> yes, exactly. <sighs> and I had to close my eyes, and apparently I closed my eyes in this weird way where it looks like my eyes are rolling in the back, of, oh, like I look God. like I'm dying when I close my eyes. And they're like, Baron, your your eyes are rolling back in your head when you close your eyes. I'm like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about, Baron. Where? We're Coca-Cola. We're very established. We, it's about half our success is about the eye blinking. Apparently. They're very specific about it. And one of the reasons I had to drink it is because the Coke people were on the set. Normally, they would just give me water in the can. Oh, they lit. Oh, because it was in a can. It was a can of Coke. Yeah. Oh, my God. But because seems... the Coke people were there, they're like, they're insisting you actually drink the Coke. And I'm like, I can't drink this for 12 hours, but then I did. I could just see some shithead sitting on a director's chair. Uh, can you make sure he has real Coke in there? He can act Always. it. No, he can't. No one can act Coke. This is his 30th take. Maybe we could give him some water. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a point where it's like I He's had to go to the now. bathroom after every sip. I was like, all right, got to go. And then like, there's a the little caffeine in there. Oh, yeah. It kept me up. Kept me up. But those were like the two biggest commercials I did, I want to say. 
And then I quit the day, I quit the day job and it was comedy, 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 comedy. Going to every single state. Oh, you've been to every state? Almost every state. There's like four I haven't been well, to. I just knocked off my final one, Wyoming. Oh, oh I, have, I haven't done stand-up in Wyoming. I've driven through Wyoming. Yeah, that doesn't. No. I mean, that counts for something. It's beautiful, right? I didn't stop. It's very beautiful. It's almost unbelievable. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. And I had just left a tornado. Oh. I was driving from the Dakotas down south. And so after I left Mount Rushmore, it got, it was like in the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon, it got so dark out of nowhere. And then suddenly I saw the spout come out the cloud and I was like, whoa. Oh, that would. That's when I noticed every car had pulled over and was like, okay, what's going to happen? Are you supposed to pull over when there's a tornado? I don't even know. I think you're supposed to pull over and get the hell out of your car and run to a bridge. Oh. <laughs> there's a bunch of. I didn't. I'd never been in a tornado was in I front of me situation. Terrified. Yeah, I pulled over to see what was going to happen because if it touched down, I was going to turn around and drive away until I got to a bridge. You'll That's what show, they say. You'll show that tornado. Hey, I'll do a Yui. It's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fucking do it anyway, traffic man. rules. I don't care anymore. Tornado. It didn't touch down though. The spout came out and it like sucked back up into the cloud. Man. And then I kept driving and the road went directly under where it was that would have touched down. Then suddenly sunshine, clouds were gone and I was in Wyoming and that wheat was just like in the fields, that wheat grass, that yellow grass that looks so beautiful. Yeah. I don't know if it was wheat. <laughs> uh, let me pretend. Yeah, that was wheat. <laughs> it's absolutely, it was some Wyoming wheat. Todd knows. Are you gluten free also? Who, me? Yeah. I'm allergic to gluten, yeah. Are you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You've just become Mr. L.A. You know what it is? It's New York. It's Queens did this to me, Todd. Queens? Queens did this to me. What? Did, you lived in Queens? I lived in Queens, yes. And I lived in an apartment that had a mold situation. And it made me very, very sick to the point that the left side of my face stopped working for three weeks. Seriously? It's called Bell's Palsy. I've heard of that. Yeah. And I got it from mold messing up my nervous system. So... If- now you take it out on wheat? <laughs> well, what happened was, after I did that, then this whole cheeseburger thing happened. Oh, yeah. And I f- didn't understand why I kept getting so sick, because I had never been sick before Yeah. after eating dairy. Then I was like on the subway and I overheard someone talk about lactose intolerance. I was like, oh, wait, it can just come from nowhere? So then I stopped eating dairy and felt better. Fuck. And then gluten and peanuts and all that crap uh, started only a couple years ago in LA after I lived in an apartment that had a bad mold situation. So both times, every time I've lived in mold and had like a mold outbreak, yeah, I become allergic to stuff that I wasn't allergic to before. Oh, you think the mold actually caused you to become gluten? Yes. Is this, is this uh, backed by science? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> but at the same time, yes. <laughs> You're like, hello, I was on Broadway. I don't need to be a scientist. I know I'm how to stand-up sing comic. out loud. <laughs> I'm a stand-up comic. Uh, I Who think needs I got science? This. Well, everyone's allergic to mold. Everyone's allergic to it. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like um, there's a bunch of different kinds of toxic mold that all do something worse than the last one. Black mold, of course, is the worst one. It's got to be black, of course. <laughs> and uh, that one's the one that can kill you like in no time or m- make you go blind. There's all sorts of crazy things that can happen. So foods that I was eating a lot of when I was living in mold, yeah. I can't anymore. I was eating a lot of cheese when I was in Queens. Uh-huh. I was eating a lot of bread and peanuts when I was in um, uh, and uh, dairy when I was in uh, L.A. in the mold, and now I can't. So whatever I was eating a lot of, it's like my body decided it's also mold. Oh my god! I and the thing about allergies, Todd, and the science. <laughs> if you want to go to the science of it, yeah, literally, there's not any good science. I took a, a three-part allergy test at an ENT and. After you like keep coming back, you got to do this phase, and then you got to come back, and you mm-hmm. got to come back. They're like, "You're allergic to dust." Oh, okay. <laughs> you mean like everyone? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, know, you take a claret once in a while. Yeah, I was doing that before I took three rounds of allergy tests. Apparently, and that's the thing. Nope, there's not really any good explanation for allergies. Yeah, they're they're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Uh, I just love what I, we end up talking about on, oh, yeah. on the Todd Berry podcast. Come on. We went everywhere. So, did you um, – so you're on a little press. What other press do you have to do for this show? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Um, I just came from the Comedy Central building, so I did some stuff over there. Um, I'm going to do some serious shows. Yeah? Serious. John Fugel Sang's okay. show. 
Um, a couple different things that are being lined up, but it's not all done yet. So they fly here, Comedy Central. Uh, did they fly me? I think they did actually. How yeah. would you not know whether they flew you? <laughs> <laughs> because I've bought so many plane tickets that I forgot that really? I bought. That I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't pay for these plane tickets. Yeah. I always ask people how their frequent flyer game is. Mine's the whole worst, Todd. Do you, are you, do you stay on top of it? No, oh, I do on. now. All right. But I should have years and years and oh years ago yeah. when someone paid for a flight for me to go to a first class fl- flight at that to go to South Africa, I could have got all those points and I didn't think to do it until the day after a year from the flight oh. when all of the points expired. Because a lot of people, like I just met someone who was an opera singer and of course I brought up frequent flyer miles because <laughs> when you meet an opera singer, why would you have any questions other than how's your frequent flyer miles? I mean... But she's like, oh, I don't get them because, you know, people buy my tickets. Like, you still get them. You still get them. Uh, I mistakenly thought that you had to have a credit card oh, as God. well. And I didn't have the credit to have a credit card. So I, did, I just lost. I was trying to go this whole episode without talking about frequent flyer miles. But that's, <laughs> and I just it's one I, of your, your passion. Like when people say, like, what are your causes? <laughs> frequent flyer miles. I want people to I know like, they got to get the miles. I like to earn the miles and then have no interest in using them ever. Do you, what about your hotel miles and stuff like that? I use that? those add up. Hotel points, I mean Yeah, you got your Marriott and your Hilton Honors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, those add up pretty quick. Do you do that? I'm starting to again. You like a good hotel? I do. I like a simple hotel. I don't like it to be too insane. So you like a, like a Hilton Garden Inn type? Yeah, actually. Residence Inn. Yeah. Hampton Inn sometimes is a little too um, sterile. <laughs> it's very, very Those sterile. three chains are identical to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you notice a subtle difference. La Quinta. Um, yeah, no, I like a good medium level hotel. I don't like it to be too fancy because sometimes they overdo it in right. what they think is modern. And I'm like, well, where's the bed? Right. <laughs> Where am I supposed to sleep? On top of this weird oval metal thing that you put it, in the middle of the room? There's an oval bed, which is just a, it's just made out of tin. Yes, you sit and on the ground. There's no door in the bathroom because that's the way people like it now. What you do is you get on your knees and you lay your head forward, put your forehead directly on this mirror, and that will rest you. <laughs> I like a nice boutique hotel, though. Mm-hmm. Like what? Oh, like a... Oh, now I'm panicked. You ever stay in Austin at like the San Jose or one of those? No. Those are nice. They're like renovated motels. They're really oh, nice. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, but super cool. Stylish. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was a place like that that I... Oh, what's it called in Portland? Uh, the Jupiter Hotel. Yeah, I stayed there. That's like a renovated like Best Western. It is. <laughs> it used to be a Best Western or something. It is. But that's pretty nice. They have a room there with a, with a uh, I think it's a Twin Towers themed room, believe it or not. Whoa. Like post 9-11 Twin Towers. Well, it says never forget on the door. Is it room 9-11? Is I don't that... know, but it was just like, all right, this is, this is definitely a bold choice. <laughs> well, it didn't happen there, so. When does your show start? The show starts April 19th. April 19th. 11 p.m. simultaneously on Comedy Central and BET. Holy shit. Yeah, and the point of it, Todd, again, is just... All different styles in one place. Right. The the unifying factor is that we're black, but black doesn't mean one thing. Right. The end. So you're saying I'm not doing your show anymore. You're not going to do the show um, <laughs> unless we figure out something really racist. Uh, oh, God. That involves blackface. No, not really. Um, no, no, no. There's white people on the show here and there. I was joking. I, I don't. Because sometimes black people have to um, live in the world. <laughs> And we're not the only people, unless we were all in Africa. But that that happened. That that ship has sailed. Oh my God! That's the best way to use that expression. Oh my God! I'm supposed to be in Africa, but that ship has sailed. Oh man! Oh, it, I'm going to use that. On that note, <laughs> uh, is there any like website or anything you want to promote? Sure, BaronVaughn.com. Um, you know, I'm also on Twitter and and uh, Instagram. But please check out the new Negroes, the new at the new Negroes on Twitter and Instagram. Cool, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Todd. You're one of the the best comics out there. Oh, thank you. I'll just, uh, I'll edit out everything except that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just put that on a loop. I'm sorry. And I'll be just like, what was that? You're the best comic out there. What was that? With an echo. (laughs) You're one of the greatest Todds. (laughs) Todds. All three Todds. Thanks a lot, everyone. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. We're back, everyone. That was Baron Vaughn. I hope you enjoyed that. I liked it. Check out his new show. And um, check out starburns.audio for this podcast and other podcasts. And this podcast was engineered 
by Rachel Jacobs, who's sitting a few feet from me right now. It's a new thing I do where I credit the engineer. Because I forgot that I haven't been doing that. Now I do it. And then I pat myself on the back for it. We'll see you uh, next week. Thank you. Star Bands Audio, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.